Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the third chapter of Ephesians. We're concluding this series of messages, so I'm a church member. Now what? And this is the final message in that series. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21, unto him, and of course that's talking about God, be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Then he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Over the past few weeks, we've seen, first of all, the importance or the worth of a New Testament church. And we talked about that for a little bit, and then... The week after that, we dealt with the worship of the church. And actually, our responsibility as members of this church and as children of God to be present in services like this and be participants. You know, it's one thing to be present. It's another thing to be a participant. But to be present and to be participants in the worship of the church. And then last week, we talked about the importance of being witnesses. This church should be a witness in this community, but individually, we should be witnesses of Jesus Christ as God gives us opportunity and on a daily basis. And today, in this final message, it's the final message in this series for now. I may come back to a few things in the future. In this final message in this series, we're going to look at the work of the church, or actually what I refer to as the purpose of a New Testament church. Now, first of all, when we talk about the church, we're not talking about some big impersonal organization. You know, I think sometimes people view the church separate from the church members, right? <laughs> you know, well, let the church do it. Well, let the church pay for it. Well, let the church do it. It's the church's responsibility to witness and to do mission work and so forth. No, when we talk about the church, we're talking about people, folks. We're talking about me and we're talking about you. Bethel Baptist Church is not this building. We could meet out in the parking lot. We could go find a field somewhere, I guess, and, and meet. We're still Bethel Baptist Church. Bethel is not the building. Bethel is the body that meets in this building. Again, it's me and it's you. Yes, we want the building to look as nice as possible because I think personal belief, but I believe the appearance of the building on the outside says something to people that pass by about the attitude toward God held by the people on the inside. So I think the building just ought to look as good as it could, but better yet, better yet the body needs to look as good as it can. Just turn a page or two over, depending on how things are laid out in your Bible, but turn a page or two over to the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians, and let's start reading with verse 25 for a moment. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, who did Jesus love and give himself for? His churches. He's using the term church here in the generic sense, talking about each and every church. Jesus Christ died for this church. Amen. We exist because of him, okay? Then he says, why he did it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That means we ought to be preaching the word, right? That he might present it to himself a glorious church. Here's what he wants. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. The Lord wants a pure church. The Lord wants a church without blemish. He wants us to be the very best that we can be by his grace and through his power. Now, you can talk about the church, any church, and understand it in two phrases. 
Number one is the church assembled. And the church assembled comes together for things like this, for services like this, where we worship God publicly. And then there's the idea of the church dispersed because eventually, remember Wednesday night, I said, bring your lunch today. Eventually, we're going to dismiss these services and we're going to go out of here, out into the world. We're still a part of this church, but we are dispersed into the world where we are supposed to be carrying the gospel of Jesus Christ to people. And so we exist in both situations. So I'm going to ask you a question. Those who were in Sunday school were told the questions and the answers. See, if you weren't there, you missed something this morning. But those in Sunday school were given the question and the answers to this. What do you believe is the primary purpose of a New Testament church? What is the primary purpose of a New Testament church? Is it evangelism? Win the lost at any cost? I've heard that phrase in my lifetime. Just to go out and bring people to Christ? Is it worship? Is that the primary purpose of this church that we gather together to worship God? Is the primary purpose of this church education? Is it teaching the Word of God? Is the primary purpose of this church what I call edification, learning and enjoying to fellowship with one another as those who know Jesus Christ as Savior? Which of those is it? Well, I'll tell you, it's none of those. You say, what? Aren't we supposed to win the lost? Yes, we are. Aren't we supposed to worship, study the Word? Yes, we are. But Ephesians 3.21 says, Unto Him, unto God, be glory in the church. This church is to glorify God Amen. above everything else. Now, we glorify God by being witnesses. We glorify God, we should, in our worship. We glorify God in learning the Word of God. We glorify God in our fellowship, or at least we should do that. So that is the purpose of this church. It's found in Ephesians 3.21. Many church members feel like they fulfilled their purpose when they show up on a Sunday morning. Well, I was in church. I've done my duty. I've done, I have fulfilled my purpose. Well, that's not fulfilling our purpose. In fact, to be a church that honors God and that brings glory to God, we need to achieve some minimum goals. You know what they are? Number one, to have a born-again membership. I think it's nice when all of you church members are saved. Amen. The greatest problem in churches is unsaved church members. I refer to them as the mixed multitude. Remember what came out of Egypt? It was a mixed multitude. And who was always griping and complaining and causing problems? It was the mixed multitude. And many times you get people in the church who don't know Christ as Savior. They get on the church roll and then they're causing difficulty in the church. Satan can really use them. But our prime, uh, one of our goals ought to be to have everybody who's a member of this church know Jesus Christ as Savior. And then to have a membership that is devoted to prayer. Intercessory prayer. Prayers of thanksgiving. Prayers of praise to God. How many times do we just say, I'm going to take time. I'm going to pray to God today. I'm not going to ask him for anything. I'm just going to thank him for everything that he's done for me. That's a prayer of praise. We ought to take time to praise God in our praying. To have a testifying, a witnessing membership which speaks with boldness to those who don't know Christ out in the world. That we're willing to go out. We're willing to talk to people. And on a daily basis. I said something a moment ago about as God gives us opportunity, as God opens doors, as God brings us into the presence of people who don't know Christ, that we would use that opportunity to witness of Christ. To be devoted to a sacrifice of time, okay, and that's showing up for worship as part of it, but that's not all of it. But be devoted to a sacrifice of our time, of our treasure, and I don't preach a lot on giving, because you know what, we're doing a pretty good job of giving, and I don't want to mess that up. And, 
You know, if I preach on it, it might mess it up. So just keep on doing what you're doing, right? But be devoted to a sacrifice of our time, of our treasure, and our talents. I jokingly made reference a moment ago to having a special on Sunday mornings. If God has given you a talent, use it. Use it in the choir. Use it in playing the instruments. Use it in singing these specials and, and hymns to God. And then to labor to achieve a spirit-filled, a Holy Spirit-controlled membership. That's the way to have peace in the church, have a membership controlled by the Holy Spirit. To have a membership that is students of the Word of God, that want to learn the Word of God. You say, preacher, when can I learn all of the Word of God and know all of the Word of God? I guess when you get in His presence in glory, you may know a little bit more about it. But I've been doing this for a long time, and folks, I'm still learning. You know, a lot of times believers are like our children. They just want to grow up too fast. And it takes time to grow in the Lord. And it takes effort and it takes study of the Word of God. And then to be progressively mission-minded. Those are the goals we need as a church. Now I'm going to present this message a little differently. I have a question and then I have two statements. So we're going to ask some things and then we're going to apply some things and then we're going to avoid some things as we go through this message. First of all, the question, what can I do as a member to help this church bring glory to God. What can I do as a member of Bethel Baptist Church to help the church bring glory to God? You look back over in Ephesians chapter 4. What did Paul say? As the prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. The first thing we can do is just walk the worthy walk. Walk the worthy walk. Well, what is the worthy walk? What does it mean to walk worthy of the vocation to which we are called? Vocation talks about the calling. He's literally saying, walk worthy of the calling to which you are called, child of God. Well, what are we called to? Well, I have a few verses of Scripture to share with you. We're not going to read them all. I'm just going to tell you what they say. Write them down. They'll be up here. Write them down. Look them up and see what the Word of God says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12. We are called unto God's kingdom and glory. Think about that. You're a part of the kingdom of God. All right? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7. We are not called to uncleanness, the scripture says. We are called to holiness. What is holiness? It's separation. It's being distinct. It's being different from the world. We live in a time when the worst sin people can see is that you're different. You know, we live in an age of conformity and everybody wants to, you know, we live in an age in conformity and the chief hymn of this age is everybody's doing it, doing it, doing it. You know, we all want to do the same thing, but we want to be different. Well, we are supposed to be different. We're supposed to be different from this world. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14, we are called by the gospel to the obtaining, listen to this, of the glory of Jesus Christ. You know what we're supposed to do? Reveal the glory of the risen Savior. Think about that. Now think about your everyday life. Do I do that? 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9, we are called with a holy calling according to His purpose. What is God's purpose for you? What is God's purpose for your life? What does God desire out of your life? Get into the Word of God and find what God wants you to do. Listen to the Word of God and find what He wants you to do. We are called to be holy. I say that again. We're called to be separate. We're not supposed to be common and unclean. We're not supposed to live, think, act, talk like the world. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3, we are called... To glory and to virtue. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 10. We are called unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. In other words, 
You and I, because we're saved, because we're children of God, and especially as members of this church, folks, we are called to show the world the glory of Jesus Christ. And as a church, that ought to be the central purpose of everything that we do, the glory of God, the glory of the Lord Jesus. Whether it's a worship service, whether it's a fellowship, whether it's a youth activity, whether it's a ladies' auxiliary activity, whatever it is, it ought to be to the glory of God. Colossians 1.10 says that we are to walk worthy of the Lord. The word worthy has the idea of appropriately, deserving. We are to walk and have a life that is suitable with the name of Jesus. How many people have you ever heard say, I'm a Christian, and yet they don't live like it? That's not a worthy walk. So walk the worthy walk. I've got to go through these rapidly this morning because otherwise we will be eating lunch here. All right, just bear with me. Hang on. Buckle your pew belts this morning, all right? We are to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You look at verse 3 there. What does it mean? And I'm going to talk more about this in just a little bit, but what does it mean to endeavor? It means work at it. It means to put some speed to it. Well, what is unity? It talks about oneness. We are to be one body. We have many different people, many different backgrounds, many different likes and dislikes. But when we come together as a church, God joins us together as a church, we're to be one, folks. We're to have one mind. We're to have one desire. And again, that is the glory of God. What is the unity of the Spirit? The unity of the Spirit is that spirit of oneness, again, that the Holy Spirit will produce in a church. And it's supposed to be done in the bond of peace. What is bond? The unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That word bond talks about a uniting principle. It literally refers to ligaments. It's that which holds things together. You have ligaments that hold your joints together. You know, I don't know what all they are, but I hear about these sports figures having to have their ACLs and all the other CLs in their body, their ligaments repaired. They have to have surgery on them because something has happened and they're not working properly. And sometimes that happens in a church. I said, we'll talk more about this in a moment. But when a church does not have peace, it is not following the Holy Spirit and God is not pleased. Verse 15 says that we are to grow up into him, but speaking the truth and love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. We're to desire to be like the Lord Jesus. The Apostle Paul said, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He said, I want to share in his sufferings. I want to be just like Jesus. And even a man like Paul had to say, I'm not there yet. You know, if Paul wasn't there yet, I know Jim's not there yet. But we ought to have that desire in our hearts. I want to be so much like Jesus Christ that people can see him in me. Why did they call the believers at Antioch Christians? Because they were so much like Jesus. They could see Jesus in them. And actually to defame them, actually to insult them, they called them Christians or little Christ, or fanatics for Christ. When's the last time we had somebody call us fanatics for Jesus Christ? I know believers today are being called domestic terrorists by some. We're not. We just want to be like Jesus and live like Jesus. Number four, walk not 
as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, this is verses 17 and 18, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. We are not to conduct ourselves like those who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior. Again, there's to be a distinct difference. First Peter 4.15, Peter said, let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer. And look what he put in that category. Or as a busybody in other men's matters. He equated being a busybody in other people's matters with being a murderer and a thief and an evildoer. Why do you point that out, Brother Jim? Because so many of God's people wouldn't dare think of murdering somebody, wouldn't think of stealing, wouldn't think of doing evil, but they sure don't mind getting involved in other people's business, do they? And Peter said that's the equivalent of those other things. He said, don't you do it. We are not to walk like the world walks. Vanity of mind talks about their emptiness, the depravity. This world is depraved. You don't have to look far to see it. This world is depraved. They have the understanding darkened. Their thinking process is obscured. It, it's blinded. They're alienated from the life of God. They're estranged. They're a non-participant in the life of God. Don't be like, you said it before, but I'll say it again. Don't be like the lost world. And here's what he said in chapter 5, verse 1. Be ye followers of God as dear children. That's something else you can do to make sure this church glorifies God. Be followers of God as dear children. What is a follower? The word literally means imitator. Just like a child imitates his or her parents, we're to imitate God. Years and years ago, and I've shared this before, I think, but years and years ago, there was an anti-smoking ad on TV, and it showed a little boy following his father around. And dad would, you know, kick a can, and the little boy kicked a can, because dad did it. Dad skipped a rock across the water, and the little boy skipped, picked up a rock and threw it across the water. And the final scene, dad sits down, leaned up against the tree, and the son sits down, leaned up against the tree, and dad pulls out a cigarette and lights one up, and he lays the package down, and it closes with the little boy reaching for that package of cigarettes, because his daddy did it. Children imitate their parents. And as children imitate their parents, you and I are to be imitators of God, the scripture says. So those are five things you can do. It's not an exhaustive list, but five things you can do to help this church glorify God. Well, there's some things we must also insist on as a church if this church is to glorify God. And I'm going to start with the music. How about that, Brother Rick? He just laughs. The singing, and I'm thankful that it does here. I appreciate our musicians. I appreciate Brother Rick and the songs he picks out and the way he leads. The singing should bring glory to God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, listen to what it says. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. God tells us what kind of music to use. What are psalms? Psalms are Poems, literally, that were written to be sung to music or chanted to music, to musical instruments. And so the Psalms talked about sacred songs. It's a commemoration of God's mercies and mercies that we have received from God. That's what a psalm is. Well, what is a hymn? A hymn is a song of praise addressed to God. Can a psalm be a hymn? Well, certainly. 
But we thank God for his mercies and we sing praises to God in psalms and hymns. What are spiritual songs? They're songs that relate to spiritual things. One definition one time said they're more of a festive type of song. You know, there are songs that we can sing that are very slow and very somber, and I like those. I especially like those right before we preach. That song, Near to the Heart of God, right before I got up to preach God's Word. I appreciate that. I like that. I've always been convinced that after we come out of Sunday school, the first song we need to sing really needs to be one upbeat and happy, you know, and all of that, because people had to listen to me in Sunday school for a little while. Amen. Wake them up when they get in here. But psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Look over to just a couple of pages to the book of Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. That's what the psalms and hymns ought to do because it says in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. We're to sing with grace in our hearts. You know, I've pastored in places where we sang victory in Jesus this way. Oh, victory in Jesus. And I'm like, come on, folks. We've won the victory. Amen. We ought to be enthusiastic about it. Hey, it's victory. We, we win. And we ought to be filled with joy over it. And we ought to sing with grace in our hearts. Now, listen, it may be that not everything that we sing fits into one of these categories. And that's why I, again, appreciate Brother Rick and his directing of the music because not everything that is called gospel music is gospel music. There's some songs we don't need to sing. There's some songs we need to leave alone even though they're called gospel music. If a song presents some erroneous teaching, if it says something about God that is not true about God, or if it says something about the things of God that are not true about the things of God, we need to leave it alone. Don't sing it. And there's some folks out there producing music, and I talked about them just recently. We just need, their doctrine is messed up, and so we need to leave them alone. If a song is contrary to the Word of God, don't sing it. Just leave it out. Leave it alone. If it affects the feet more than the heart, might ought to be careful with it. Because it might just appeal to the flesh more than it appeals to the Spirit. Listen, you don't want your pastor preaching error, do you? Amen. Boy, I was expecting a big amen out of that one. I'm going to try that again. You don't want your pastor preaching error, do you? Amen. Thank you. I'm glad to hear that. Well, it's just as wrong to sing error as it is to preach error in a worship service in one of the Lord's churches. So the singing ought to bring glory to God. Now we're going to deal with the preacher. We deal with the music minister. Now we're going to deal with the preacher, all right? Folks, the preaching ought to bring glory to God. Amen. The preaching of the Word of God ought to bring glory to God. Just turn over to 2 Corinthians for just a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Listen to verse 5. The Apostle Paul says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. We are not to preach ourselves. The preacher shouldn't brag on any man, any human being, when he's trying to present the Word of God. And the preacher is not to brag on himself when he's preaching the Word of God. I listened to a man just recently preach a message. It was a memorial service. And I couldn't tell whether he was preaching about the person who had passed away or about himself. He wasn't talking about Jesus. And then he would refer to the church as my church, my church, my church. Hey, it's the Lord's church, okay? 
we're not to preach ourselves. We're not to promote ourselves. We're not to lift ourselves up. I told somebody just yesterday, I said, I'm not big. I'm not well known, even in our work. That doesn't bother me, because I'm where God put me, folks. And I'm going to preach the Word of God, and when you get tired of it, tell me, and I'll go somewhere else, right? <laughs> but we're going to, we ought to preach the Word. Look at verses 1 and 2 here in 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, what is, is he talking about this ministry? Well, it talks about the Word of God. Seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the Word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. That tells us how we ought to preach. Not dishonestly, I shouldn't get up here and lie to you. Amen. Make up false stories and try to make you feel bad or try to talk you into doing what I want you to do. We don't preach in man's wisdom and we'll look at that in just a moment. But we don't preach dishonestly. We don't tell things that are not supposed to be told or they're dishonest. He said walking in craftiness. That again is deceit. There's some preachers sometimes that I just have to turn off, you know. And then he says, not handling the word of God deceitfully. I was talking to this preacher. There were three of us involved in a wedding yesterday. And so I was talking to this other preacher. And I said, you know, we're talking about how God prepares us for things. And all through junior high school, high school, and into college, I loved speech and drama. Speech and drama, speech and drama. I said, it doesn't bother me to stand up in front of people. You know what does bother me? to stand up in front of people with this because I want to make sure I'm right because if I'm not right and I don't give you what's right then I'm in danger of leading you astray so it is a nerve type of thing sometimes when it comes to preaching the word of God go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 some of my favorite verses that Paul writes here talking about preaching begin in verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. He tells us how to preach. How am I to preach? How is every preacher to preach? As I said, not in man's wisdom. You can't preach the Word of God in man's wisdom, I don't think. You preach it in God's wisdom. You notice, before I preach, I pray. And I ask God. I don't want to preach my message. Because I've put together some, okay? And I've kicked them out just as quickly. I don't want to preach my message. Because I want to preach what God wants preached. I want to speak the words out of my mouth that God wants spoken to you. And so it, we don't preach in man's wisdom. But he also says this from a human standpoint. Weakness, fear, much trembling. And I'll explain it again. When a man takes the word of God and stands in the pulpit, he's handling the things of God. He's handling the word of God. He is speaking God's word to God's people. He's speaking for God as he presents a message if he's right with God and if he's following the leadership of the Holy Spirit and you better be sure it's right. I'm going to show you something in just a minute and tell you why. But then I like the last verse, verse 4. And this is how I always want to preach. 
in demonstration of Holy Spirit power. I just want God through his spirit to take over when I stand in this pulpit, folks. Let me tell you something amazing, and I've shared this with Brother Dennis before, and there have been times, not just here, but in other places, it's Sunday morning, I'm not feeling well. Back's hurting, this is hurting, that's hurting, head's hurting, whatever. I step into this pulpit and start preaching. I don't feel anything. Nothing hurts anymore. No headache, no backache. I get through, back starts hurting again. That, what is happening? Getting so concentrated on the Word of God and following God's leadership that those things don't mean anything for that moment. And so I'm able to preach the Word of God. The demonstration of the Holy Spirit and the power. And here's why I keep saying it better be right. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1. Since the day I found this, I always love to point it out to people. Here's what God says to preachers. Here's what God says about preachers through the Apostle Paul. He tells Timothy, preach the word. Just preach the word. Why is that so hard for some preachers to do? Just preach God's word. But back up to verse 1. Look at this charge that he gives. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he calls two witnesses. I'm giving you this command. I'm giving you this charge. I'm calling God and Jesus as witnesses. All right? That I'm doing this. And then he says, who shall judge? Talking about Jesus. Who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom? You know what he's doing? He's giving this command not only with God and Jesus as witnesses, but he's reminding Timothy, hey, bud, you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ one of these days. And you're going to give answer for the way you have handled the word of God. You're going to give answer whether you have preached deceitfully and all of those other things we named a few moments ago. You will answer for that. Folks, I got enough to answer for Amen. without answering for why I preach and what I preach, all right? But I always keep that in mind. I'm going to stand before Jesus and answer for how I preached and how I handled God's Word. And here's what he says. Preach when it's received and preach when it's not received. He says preach it in its fullness to people who want to hear it. And by the way, Preach it to people who don't want to hear it. Just preach the word of God. And that is the kind of preaching that glorifies God and glorifies one of the, God through one of the Lord's churches. It's when we preach the word, we preach it truthfully, we preach it in a demonstration of Holy Spirit power, and we preach it remembering I'm answerable for what I say from this pulpit. And I'll add this. Politics, psychology, sociology, have no place in the preaching of the Word of God. I did point out to the Sunday school class this morning, sadly, some moral issues have become political issues today. And for that reason, sometimes we have to deal with what sounds like politics when we're actually dealing with morals. Right quickly, the work of the church should glorify God. Matthew 5, 16. Who's Jesus speaking to? Well, that's the Sermon on the Mount. He called his disciples aside. So he's preaching, giving, we call it the marching orders of the church. And he says what? He said, let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We ought to be the kind of church that glorifies God. It ought to be obvious who we serve. People come into these services and visit in these services or, or join this church and week after week in these services, it ought to be obvious that we serve the true and the living God. Amen. Our works ought to prove it. A working church is not ashamed to be living for God. 
A working church, a church that brings glory to God is not ashamed to be giving to God. It's not ashamed to be serving God. It's not ashamed to be witnessing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And our desire for missions, and I'm thankful we give to missions the way that we do. We can always give more, but I'm thankful we give. You know, we this year gave, and last year gave a Christmas in July offering to our missionaries. And then Christmas comes along, we give them a Christmas, special Christmas offering along with their monthly support. I'm thankful for that. So we ought to be progressively, as we said earlier, mission-minded. But there's one more thought. There are some things, and this is the avoid part, there are some things which rob God of his glory in the church. We don't ever want to do these things. I hate to end on a negative note, but I think they need to be mentioned. Number one, when the church fails to finance herself. When a church fails to finance herself, what do you mean? She has to let her bills go unpaid. That should never happen in one of the Lord's churches. Amen. She fails to meet obligations that she has set for herself. What, what do you mean by that? We decide, well, we've got to cut back on our mission giving because our offerings aren't what they once were. So we've got to tell the missionary, we're, we're going to reduce what we're sending you each month. We're not, they're not going to be any more Christmas in July gifts and they're not going to be any more Christmas gifts. We just, you know, offerings are down. We've got to cut back. And I don't believe God is glorified when we have to say to a missionary, we're sorry, but we can't support you anymore because our offerings have dropped. And folks, there is a reason. There is a reason that I am against setting up a table at Walmart or anywhere else for that matter and selling stuff to the public out in front of Walmart. If this church will not finance herself and the programs that she's involved in, then we don't need to be involved in the programs. If we don't care enough for the Lord, we don't love the Lord enough to finance what we do, why ask the lost world to finance what we do by selling? And I'd made myself a note and I decided not to say it, but I'd made myself a note this way. Have you noticed a lot of times churches sell cheap junk at an inflated price? <laughs> I'm sorry, to make a lot of money? We shouldn't do that. Why? Nehemiah 2.20. You know what Nehemiah told Geshem and Tobiah and, and the rest of them? He said, you have no part and you have no portion, you have no right and no memorial in this. The lost world doesn't have any memorial in what we do, any part in what we do as a church. God's not glorified when attendance is low. Hebrews 10.25, I understand the illness, but Hebrews 10.25, we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We have some who are members of this church who so far as I know, there's not anything wrong, they just decide to quit coming. Well, they're not glorifying God. They're not helping this church glorify God. You know, Jesus gave a parable of a man who created a big supper and invited people. And there were three reasons given why they couldn't come. There's only one, I think, that had a legitimate reason. But one said, you know, I've bought some land and I've got to go see it. Now, how many of us would buy property without seeing it first? Another one said, I've bought some oxen or some cattle. And he said, I've got to go prove them. You'd buy an animal without seeing the animal? I think the one guy had a legitimate reason. He said, I've taken a wife and I can't come, you know. <laughs> I don't know if his reason was that legitimate either. But when a church's members find other things to do so that they won't support her worship with their attendance, folks, most assuredly that does not glorify God. When holiness of life is ignored. 
1 Peter 1.16, for it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. God expects us to be holy. 1 Peter 2.9 describes us, You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. A peculiar people. Now I know missionary Baptist folks are some odd people sometimes. We do some odd things, but that's not what he's talking about. We are God's purchased possession. And on the basis of this, we're exhorted to live a pure life. Verse 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. This church is to keep herself as clean as possible, both morally and doctrinally. Amen. I've got two more and then we'll close. When disunity prevails. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. In fact, look what the Apostle Paul said to this church right quickly in that third verse in chapter 3. He said, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye yet carnal and walk as men. Envying is jealousy. Strife talks about rivalry. It talks about contention. Division talks about dissension and discord. And he says, When these things are present, you're just showing how carnal you are. And a carnal church does not glorify God. A fleshly church does not glorify God. What did Ephesians 4, 3 say? We're to endeavor to keep the spirit of unity in the bond of peace. To keep the spirit of unity. What, what does endeavor mean? To make haste. To work at it. You know what? It takes work sometimes to have peace, doesn't it? It takes not wearing, as the saying goes, your feelings on your sleeve. It takes being forbearing and it takes being forgiving. And it takes sometimes, I tell you what, anybody wants to learn how to be forgiving, forbearing, to do these things, they ought to just try to pastor for a while. I've contended for a long time, if anybody in the church ought to get their feelings hurt on a weekly basis, it ought to be the preacher. But we can't do that. We're not supposed to do that. How important is it to deal quickly with issues and to deal with things that promote discord? Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Jesus said, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, anything against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar. Go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother. And then, Come and offer thy gift. When you're out of fellowship with a brother or sister in Christ, you can't worship God that way. And Jesus said, make it right. Make it right and then come and worship. And when the church fails to bring people to Christ, she does not bring glory to God. Acts 1.8, we talked about that last week. We're to be witnesses of Christ. The great commission that's given in Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 through 20. 19 and 20 actually was the commission. 18, Jesus said, all authority, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And then he said in verses 19 and 20 that we're to make disciples. You can't make a disciple of somebody that's lost. And so you lead people to Christ. And once you lead them to Christ, what do you do? You teach them. Well, you baptize them first. That's what he said. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then teaching them to observe or to do all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And he said, Lord, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Each member should be willing to witness. And if you say, I can't witness, you really can. But if you say, I can't witness, you ought to be willing to invite people to church. Let them come here and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at the very least, 
At the very least, give their name to somebody. They're addressed to somebody. You preacher, well, yeah, I'd take it, but there might be other people that might get along with them a little bit better than the preacher. I mean, just think what your friend would think you sending, sicking the preacher on them at their house, you know? <laughs> this church is to bring glory to God by and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Man. By preaching the gospel, by furnishing a covenant relationship within which believers may identify with each other through baptism and through church membership, by serving as a means of fellowship and participation. I like fellowships. I like visiting with you. I like talking with you. But participation in kingdom activities with the object of this, maturing one another. That's what we're supposed to do. We lift one another up. May I share your prayer request from Sunday school? Sister Precious just baptized her. She said, pray for me that as I read and I study the Word of God, that my understanding will be opened up and I'll get these things on it. She wants to grow as a child of God. Pray for her. Encourage her. Talk to her. And by the worship that lets her members render their worship and their praise to God. God's glorified when the New Testament pattern of doctrine and worship and edification and education and service is carried out in the spirit of love in the fellowship of the New Testament church. We have a biblical purpose. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. So let me ask you three more questions and we'll close. They're not long questions. Do you desire to see Bethel Baptist Church bring glory to God? Amen. Do you personally and individually desire to bring glory to God with your life? Are you doing your best to bring glory to God through Jesus Christ on a daily basis? And folks, we need to be. We don't exist for our glory. We don't exist. I said I've known some churches that just existed for their history's sake. We're 190 million years old and we're going to keep, we're going to just be here till there's nothing left. They had no desire to glorify God. They had no desire to go out into the... They just existed because, you know, third great-granddaddy and his wife started this church. And, and so we just want to keep existing. No, we exist to God's glory. Amen. If we stop doing that, I don't know whether the Lord would remove the candlestick or not, but I'd pray if we ever decided we don't want to glorify God that He'd remove me one way or the other. Because I want to be in a church that glorifies God.